I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Medina, Superintendent, Head of Head of Grounds, Director of Golf Course Operations, to be specific. <laughs> Director of Golf Course yeah. Operations, Curtis Tyrell. Curtis, welcome on. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate the opportunity. Hey, it's uh, it's a, I've been meaning to do this. Uh, you know, I think you got a very interesting story. You, you've got a verse background between. Um, you know, multiple renovations out here, um, multiple major events, you know, one of the biggest golf, you manage one of the biggest golf facilities of, uh, you know, that's in the United States. And, uh, I think a great way to start would be like, how'd you get here? Oh yeah. It's been a wild ride. I'm originally from Maryland and, um, I graduated from Elon university in North Carolina with a degree in history. And I had worked on the golf courses, uh, you know, through high school and college a couple of summers. But when I got out of college, I went back home and I was thinking about going to grad school for history and went back to work on the golf course while I was figuring that out and uh, fell in love with it. Because once once we got through the summer and and I graduated from a weed eater, something a little bit more important um, and realized, uh, you know, really more of the inner workings of of golf course maintenance and, and agronomy. Um, through just a fantastic mentor by the name of Mike Evans um, back in at the Country Club of Woodmore in uh, Mitchellville, Maryland, I fell in love with it. Is and that the place, Obama? Was that Woodmont? That was Woodmont. Woodmont. Yeah, uh-huh. it's Woodmont. Uh, not too far away. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, so uh, a couple years later, I went back to Penn State and uh, enrolled in their two-year turf grass management program. And, and then, you know, the just took off. I felt, you know, obviously I said already, I fell in love with it. I mean, it was just a, Penn State was a great environment, really competitive mm-hmm. uh, in the early 90s when I was there. Um, you know, there was 24 kids in our class and Michigan State had a big class and, and it was really, you know, a hot uh, career path and, and things. So you had to, you know, to compete. Plus, you know, being at a place like Penn State, you felt like a, a star basketball recruit in high school. I mean, you had Augusta National, Cypress Point, Cherry Hills, Marion, all these clubs wanted you to come work there. Mm-hmm. And it was like, man, I just felt like, you know, this is incredible. I, it felt like a big cheese and I uh, had just a great experience there. Um, did my internship at Cherry Hills in Colorado. And that experience of kind of getting off the East Coast, out West, uh, learning a, a ton about golf out there, a uh, ton about golf courses out there. Uh, really um, solidified my bug to kind of travel with the industry. And that was something I really liked about it. At the time, I mean, golf was getting built all over the world, and and I saw it as a way to see the world and do something I love. And so uh, when I graduated, I went out to work for my mentor, Mike Evans, his mentor, a guy by the name of Virgil Robinson at PGA West in La Quinta, California. And at the time, they had just... 
finished the fifth course there, and I think there's eight there now. Yeah. Um, uh, which was the Weisskopf course. So I went out there as an assistant superintendent and worked on the Weisskopf private, the Nicholas private, the Palmer private. Uh, did a little bit of time on the stadium resort course and kind of worked around that uh, property for a year uh, when there was some change in ownership and uh, Virgil moved on and I had the opportunity to move to Desert Mountain in Scottsdale. And um, you know, I was eager to do that. I knew a little bit about that facility from being out west um, and I knew they had a, a senior major, the tradition, and they were building golf courses and the guy that I was going to go work for by the name of Sean Emerson, who is in my role there, he's a director of agronomy there, and he's still there today. Um, you know, he was somebody that that I really uh, was learning a ton from and was eager to, to learn more from. So, you know, I jumped over there and, and spent three years working there and kind of moving up the ranks from assistant to course superintendent there. Mm-hmm. And we did three ma- uh, three traditions built the Cherokee course, rebuilt all the greens on the Geronimo course and the Cochise course while I was there. And that's when I got my first taste of, of golf course construction. And um, at the time we were a, a four and went, and cha- went to five courses. So a multiple course facility, golf course construction, tournament experience, desert um, agronomy, you know, cool season grasses, warm season grasses. I mean, it was, it was awesome. And, um, you know, it was just a wonderful experience. And, uh, after three years, I, I got a job in Vegas, okay. and I went up to uh, Anthem Country Club. Man, all over the place. Yeah, no, it was it was desert, a wild desert, desert, right in the desert for yeah, a while. I was, I know. I mean, when I was out there, I was like, I couldn't wait to get out of there because it was so hot every summer, and I just kept saying, <laughs> I'm never going to do another summer in the desert. They just kept coming, you know. They, I just like I couldn't get out of there, but they were all great experiences. And Anthem was a Keith Foster designed 18 hole um, mm-hmm. private club, which was owned by uh, a developer. And when they when they sold out the community, um, they sold uh, the, the club to another developer who brought in Troon Golf. And so about halfway through my time there, Troon Golf came in and, and was overseeing the uh, management of it. And at that time, they were just just growing like crazy in, yeah. in their portfolio. They were picking up some really great facilities and. I expressed my interest to, to want to get back to the East Coast where I'm from. My wife's from New England, uh, had gotten married through my time in the desert, and and uh, one day they called me up, and, and uh, we had had a lot of success at Anthem and, and had won some awards within the, the organization, and they called me up and said, uh, how would you like to go build 36 holes in Connecticut with Reese Jones? And I'm like, of course, like, when do we go? You know, and they're like, well, actually, you know, can you be there Friday and meet the owners? And I'm like, okay. So I flew out to uh, uh, Lake of Isles, which is a, a new property that was was about to be built um, in southeastern Connecticut, right next to Long Island Sound, and it was associated with the Foxwoods Casino, and so it was owned by the uh, Native American tribe that, that <laughs> ran that casino. And they're about to build this 36-hole facility around a 90-acre lake on an old Boy Scout camp. And uh, we were looking at uh, two years of construction and, and uh, working with Reese. And um, so ultimately the owner... That was, that was Reese's heyday. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was... It was, it was, it was he was t- turning and burning then. He was turning and burning. And um, 
you know, so I got that job and, and went over there. And I mean, I was there when we cut the first tree out of there and carved these two golf courses over, over two years. I mean, two years with no golfers building two golf courses. I mean, it was like superintendent's dream, you know, I mean, we were just having a ball and it was a big project, a lot of infrastructure, um, a ton of ledge. Um, we, I've never been around ever since before then or since then so much dynamite i mean we blasted more rock to build those golf courses and uh you know it was really an engineering and and uh golf course construction feat and and recently casino money casino money and uh you know not a single home on it you can't see one hole from the next you know this classic uh you know that that era's classic uh you know golf course that winds through the woods and and you really you're really out there on your own and Reese just did a fantastic job. Two championship designs up there, and uh, you know, loved it. Uh, stayed on. We opened it up. Was on. Managed it for three years after we finished building it. And uh, then one day, I got a call from a firm that was looking for uh, to place somebody in this position here. And uh, yeah, that was another call, kind of like, hey, what do you think about uh, Medina Country Club? You know, they're going to hold the Ryder Cup, and they want to do some work to their courses. And I'm like. You know, let's go. You know, I, you know, I was super excited, and um, so I interviewed for the position and, and and got it, and you know, it was a, you know, big moment in my life, man. I was super pumped, you know, to come to a place like this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a heck of a facility. Yeah, not not many bigger than this one. I mean, the rounds per year are just huge, and I mean, it's yeah. a three drastically different golf courses now too which we'll get to um curious with your experience at lake of the isle lake of the isles um how like seeing it grow in for three years i mean you're so you're there five total yeah right um like i've always i'm always wondering about like maturation and like you know like how long you know should somebody like really give a course to to really take a hold of it's like you know true identity is it is it three years, five years, 10 years, one year, like, you know, or do you well, not even know? You know what? Oh man, it's, it really depends on, on the site and any specific conditions that are going on there. And then the business model, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if, if you're going to, if this place is going to get played aggressively, it's going to mature differently than one that isn't. And, um, you know, in some, in some cases it could force the, the maturation to come forward sooner. Right, because you gotta you gotta make certain uh, adjustments and perform certain practices to be able to to handle all that traffic. But you know, I think in general, you you know, at least people always said it's about three years, and I, I think that that is definitely a good benchmark in time. I mean, the day that you open the golf course, I mean, let's just let's just say that you were given enough time to grow it in. And like here, these projects that we did, we used a basically a full calendar year from the time we planted them to the time we opened them roughly mm-hmm. a little less in some holes than others but you're given enough time to grow it in i mean it's really it's really sharp when you open it up but there's yeah. a real specific time frame that is the construction maintenance activities to the maintenance activities of of operating it where you learn a ton mm-hmm. i mean you see your mower where you see your 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 cart and player where you see irrigation challenges and adjustments you see drainage issues which you know last forever um you know you start to learn more about the impacts of shade 
and other things, air movement. So, I mean, there's a period of time that first year to year and a half where you're learning a lot Mm -hmm. and you got to be really attentive and you can't take your eye off the ball or all of a sudden, you know, stuff just thins out on you or, you know, next thing you know, you got issues. But um, if you're looking for that and you treat it in a spot specific way um, and you expect to have to find these things, you can get in front of them. Then, you know, year, year and a half, you've, you've found all those, you've adjusted your maintenance accordingly, and next thing you know, um, the turf has settled down and, and you're working more on that periphery tie-in stuff that really, I think, is what most people disregard in terms of the maturation. I mean, the turf is really high quality all the time, and like I said, you got to learn how to maintain it, but it's that periphery stuff, the tie-in things that, that need time to mature and really bring the whole course together. I mean, those, the small little details are like the things that seem, I, I mean, I, I might look at courses a little bit different than your average Joe, but like, you know, the, the walks from tees to greens, the transitions, the, the rough lines and the cut lines, like the, those little small details, like the bunker lines, the, you know, the mow into the bunker lines, like that's the thing I, I, I mean, course two, the, the newly restored course two, like the way you guys have the the fairways cut into the bunkers and the edges around the greens are, I mean, they're incredible. Um, so in terms of, you know, is it is it frustrating? Because I, I feel like, you know, everybody wants to push, especially with new courses and, and using Medina as an example. I bet members are chomping at the bit to get out there because they can see it and they're, right. you know, like, I, I, how hard is it to keep them at bay? Well, oh, it's tough. It's There's a lot of pressure and and, you know, for us here at Medina, we, we learned the hard way. So, you know, the Course 3 project, while, we, while I was new and I outlined what I felt like we needed, you know, there was pressure and we, we caved a little bit and we got out there too soon and it made the grow in a little longer than it needed to be because we were running a ton of rounds through it and uh, it, was, it was more challenging. But um, learning from that experience both the mm-hmm. members and me on how to, to to manage and guide the members on that regard um, in the second project we stuck we stuck firm with what we knew we needed and it really came out significantly different than the first one and so by the time we got to course two everybody was on board you know there's no more convincing on the amount of time that we needed and the right way to do it and from everything from scope you know construction scope and grow in scope to time required it, uh, we were all on the same page and it's worked out real well so with the you know three separate projects as you've you know grown here and you've become more familiar with the membership and they become more familiar with you how much has your role changed like when you know you're planning these things out and you know whether it be interviewing architects or um, you know looking at the plans and figuring out timelines like how much has it changed from when you were the new guy to, you know, most recently, you know, to when you, so you did three then to number two, to number one with Tom Doak and then to number two again with Reese. And, uh, you know, I know you were like heavily involved in the Greens Committee was heavily involved with that. But, you know, like how, how's the kind of the role and the change? Um, this is yeah. the longest question of all time. No, but. no, I, no <laughs> I hear you. I mean, um, you know, what's interesting about that question is that my role has really been the same from the beginning, mm-hmm. but their confidence level in me has grown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when I got here, um, you know, the leaders of the club at that time, you know, were very specific on wanting to, to take on these projects and needing an expert with the experience to both run a multi-course facility, prep for a big tournament, but also develop 
and manage and execute these projects. And um, so they empowered me right from the, from the start. Now, obviously, what I was bringing to the club was was all kinds of new stuff. You know, like their idea of what they wanted to do, and then me effectively translating that into terms they could understand in time frames and dollars and all these things. That was the hard part. Was 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 explaining to that to them and, and, and making that clear and and um, and because uh, it wasn't necessarily what they expected. Yeah. But. Um, you know, uh, what, what's been great is they've continued to, to put their confidence in me, in me and allow me to, to, to lead really on those projects. And, and, and they've just gotten easier, you know, I mean, like going back to the, you know, Reese was already, uh, you know, here and, and, and working with Medina for a long time when I arrived. But when we went with, with, uh, looking for somebody to do course one, you know that was that was my role to assemble different people to reach out to the various uh, architects out there that they wanted to talk to, set up the meetings, um, bring the engineers in, make sure that those two parties could collaborate, get the permitting process going, and mm-hmm. um, you know it's it, it's a unique process, and um, I've been very fortunate to work for for the members of Medina, and and, and very blessed to have their confidence to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, it's been a really great experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think uh, anybody that knows a little bit about architects would say that Reese and Tom are on a little bit on the other end of the spectrum. So what's it like to, you know, work with each of them, you know, and what are the, you know, the differences? And then is there anything that they do similar? Um, and, you know, kind of what have you learned from each of them? You know, it's funny, Andy, is I've been waiting for somebody to ask me that question. I've I've had a lot of different interviews or you know conversations and and nobody has re- and I've been waiting for that question and trying to prepare for it for many years. Um, <laughs> I, because I, you, I, you know, I have to ask. It's a, it's a great question. You know what's what's interesting is that they are they are very different people, um, personality wise, but they they are both. When, when you when you understand that they're both um, world class, top tier golf course architects, you start to understand the similarities. And what I mean is the way they they approach a project. Like I mean, Tom's approach to a project and his finished project product is completely different necessarily than 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 Reese's finished product. But you know, they both have to work through the same pathway of logistics, practicality, engineering, floodplain, you know, drainage, all these things, they're all on the same plate for each of these guys, mm-hmm. right? So they both have to kind of, they both have their way of working through those to get to the end result. Um, and it's interesting to see, um, you know, how they do it. Um, you know, Reese, I've known Reese for, for many years yeah. now, and I consider him a, a friend and a mentor, and he's really took me under his wing at the Lake of Isles and um, taught me, you know, everything that I know to get started. Mm-hmm. And then when I met Tom, it really just opened my eyes um, to, uh, you know, you know, just somebody that was completely different personality-wise, but... Um, and stylistically, artistically, um, what he would create, you know, and watching what he did out there, um, you know, really blew my mind and, and opened it to a whole new level of architecture. And I think it really helped, 
uh, those experiences really helped me be play my role when it came to the two project. But you know, um, they both really respect each other. Um, Reese coming from a completely different era and a different kind of mm-hmm. way up the line than Tom. But like I said, you know, um, managing them as partners and and as uh, knowing them as people, you know, they're they're both world class and and. Um, it, it's really been great for Medina to have both of those uh, guys have such great products out here. It's, uh, I mean, like completely different philosophies of, of design and then also just the way it's implemented. Yeah. But both of them, you know, you can't, it, the client satisfaction and the, you know, the true professionals of like architecture, like, true. you know, where they, you know, I'm, versus if you went with like a, a younger architect, like, like the logistics stuff, probably yeah. not as smooth. Yeah. Um, in terms of, um, you know, so Reese is a design contract guy. Yeah. Um, in your role, what are kind of the benefits of the design contract and and the benefits of design build? Like, do, do, would sure. you prefer one over the other? Did you learn more from one or the other? You know, you've been in more design contract situations but right. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, you know looking at each each philosophy you know there, there is kind of a yeah schism in architecture with these two philosophies as design builds become so much more popular I'm curious so having seen both in action what the sure you know, sure you know and I think I think just to go back before I dive into that one too you know I, I don't think Reese gets enough credit in today's um uh critiques of architects for his his management and use of the land you know i think i think he gets classified uh into a group of architects that came up through that era of mass building you know when when they were in business and they just had so many projects and it had to be contracted and there was yeah. this engineering and land planner routings and all these things and i think i think you know he's kind of put in that bucket but yet you know i mean he's he's looking at it from the most practical standpoint and the most minimalistic standpoint that he can as well. You mm-hmm. know, people just think that they think, oh, I'm just going to bulldoze all this and move all this over here. Or, you know, you, you get that sense that, that people don't appreciate his ability to see it that way. Um, whereas Tom, Tom, man, I mean, you think about this, the, the, the places and what he's done and the sites that he's worked with, you know, he's come up and really wrote his own pathway. I mean, he's carved his own niche to become who he is, mm-hmm. which is one of the most regarded. And so, you know, it's two totally different roads to the end, but if that makes sense, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. But, no. but, you know, when we did Course 1 with Tom, it was a hybrid of the contract design build. So Brian Schneider was on yeah. site, and Brian shaped all of the key features, so the greens, the bunkers, but we also had Wadsworth Golf on site, and they did a lot of the mass earth moving. And what I mean is one-third of that project was storm drainage and floodplain improvements. So we had a lot of cuts. We had a lot of pipe going in to, to get water off that place. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a four-square-mile watershed that, when it was originally built, was all farms, and now it's all urban. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's just a ton of water moving through here. and. And we're expected to hold a certain amount, you know, for for the county and how everything works. And we needed to accentuate and improve that. So we needed somebody to, 
to, to help cut and move a lot of dirt. So there was a, it was a real hybrid of, of that design build. But I tell you what, I really liked that, uh, that way of doing it. I mean, Brian, Brian and Eric Iverson, who was also here for a little bit, um, as well as a couple other guys that, that Tom had cir- uh, circle through here for periods of time, watching their approach to it and watching their, their abilities was, was that part that really just, you know, I think kind of blew the door wide open, you know. Um, with Reese, you know, at the Lake of Isles, I, he had these plans, and Steve Weiser and Bryce Swanson, they would they'd come up, and, and they'd come up as often as they could. And considering where they lived in close to that project, they were up a lot. And uh-huh. so that was great. I, I got to learn a lot. But they'd leave, uh-huh. and, it, and they'd kind of, after we got comfortable with each other, they'd leave it to me to make sure that when they got back, it was done a certain way. Yeah. So it was my job to kind of work with those shapers and say, closer to the green with this bunker, flash this higher, this needs to roll more. You know, so I was over there massaging mm-hmm. uh, what they were doing based on their direction. And, you know, that was interesting because we had um, uh, freelance contractors working through a major golf course contractor out of Montreal, and they all spoke French, and, I mean, it was just a wild deal. Um, moving <laughs> over here to Wadsworth, you know, I've gotten to know their their team, and they've yeah. done all our work here, and they've got some fantastic shapers in their own right, and they are uh, they're really flexible and, and and pretty damn good. I mean, it took a little while on two to get them to come out of their comfort zone because they're so used to kind of mass building according yeah. to plans, and then I'd have to teach them that hey, just because you know on ten out of eleven projects you've you've done it like this, forget it. I want that whole ledge cut down and I want to be able to see through it it's totally different but once I got them to understand that boy they shape it out perfectly uh-huh. and, and, and they get they, a lot of reps they get a lot of reps and they so they've got they've got a lot in their repertoire but they need if you if you're if somebody's not there to direct them to be different they're going to kind of build that standard template mm-hmm. you know and that's that's what we did was we got them to break out of that mold on course two and shape completely different than they normally did and so reese reese's involvement and, and steve's involvement you know was was just the same where they we talk about what it would look like and then i would make sure that you know it was getting built that way uh-huh. um, whereas with tom you know tom and brian tom would come up brian would build it you yeah know, they'd talk about it and and brian would make all all the subtle things and then as wadsworth came in to kind of prep it for finishing and my crew would come in to seat it um you know brian would be there looking over our shoulder to make sure we didn't take anything out essentially you know Mm -hmm. i mean he had it the way he wanted so in the finishing process don't lose that ridge don't 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 soften that roll you know so it was um it was really cool and and definitely different but i i mean it's just a lot of fun to, to be able to build things the way Brian and Eric and Tom's guys can build and, and if I were to ever do something like that I would probably follow that that uh-huh. direction and try to do it or or hire some of Wadsworth guys to work with me and help me yeah start your own firm <laughs> yeah because they're they're really good it's uh it's it seems to me when I look at it all parties are more aligned that way yeah. because there's no competing interest it also seems like for the club you've got one direct path there's never has it have you that's you know something i've always wondered like have you ever had 
a situation in your experience where like whether even be back at a desert mountain like where the contractor the designer and the club like you know there was like a, a struggle with communication or is um, it pretty usually pretty clear right from the from the get-go and like it's never been a big problem yeah, you know what? At, at Desert Mountain, it was Jack Nicholson. He built all those courses, and so he would come out, and whatever he said went. You know what I mean? It was never a struggle there, and that, <laughs> and that was that was you know interesting and, and fun to to get in the back of a pickup truck with Jack Nicholson, ride the site. You know, I didn't say a word; I just listened. Yeah. You know, but uh, um, you know it, it, what he said went there. Um, in Lake of Isles was, was, was really from the ground up. So, you know, Reese, Reese had full artistic control. I mean, he did have a budget and a, a project managers and things that he was accountable to. And we did run into issues, like I said, with rock and yeah. dynamite things that were big dollar things. But Reese is, you know, very, you know, creative and good at that kind of stuff. And he managed all that here, you know, the membership, um, from the very first day, the, the president of the club that, that hired me 10 years ago was a man by the name of John Potts. And he was adamant and to this day is the same guy And in that, hey, well, I'm going to hire the best people and I'm going to empower them to do the job and yeah. I'm going to get out of the way. And he held that line. It's a good and, manager. Yeah, exactly. And he held that line in, in it. And uh, I'm happy to say that that remained consistent as others followed him. Uh, through the through the board and through the green committee and and you know we we've had real I mean both the architects have always wanted to hear from the membership and the memberships had their chance to provide their input or give their opinions but it's kind of always been at the beginning as the plans being developed mm-hmm. the concepts are being reviewed you know they want to hear what the customer wants and then but but when it came down to it and I bet if you asked Tom he'd tell you how surprised he was in the end that they let him do whatever he wanted. And I remember when we were trying to get the design out of him, you know, the final one for review, you know, he was, he and Reese both were kind of, you know, like, are you sure? And I'm like, look, if you want to blow it up, blow it up. They want to see that. They want to see what you think, not what you think they want. They want to see what you think. That's what they're looking to get. And, and Tom was like, you gotta be kidding me, you know, in, in, in his own way. Um, you know, like you gotta be kidding me. He, he, he took him a while to, I think trust me that I was telling the truth as I liaison this information and encouraged him to do it. But he did it, and um, and it and it held true all the way through. And so that that credit goes to the members of Medina. You know, they they went out and they found the people they wanted, the best people that they could get, and uh, they empowered them to build it. And and now they've got they've got those products out there, which you know is a testament to them and their commitment. So. It's it's inter- I think that's like really good advice for any membership or any greens committee is is letting like you know when when you get to a planning stage and an architect putting together plans like you know let them put everything they want to do out there yeah because like they might have something that's spectacular that they hold back on because they're afraid but like letting them put everything out there right you know, you can always rein something back in, but like you, you won't see the full, the full yeah. thought. Cause they're, you know, they're really artists and, and for sure. And, and you have to do that too, from an infrastructure structural standpoint, because the art won't manifest completely if it doesn't function properly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what, what people run into is they, they have a set budget before they even start. 
right? And, and we faced that at the beginning, like, hey, we're only going to spend this much on the project. Well, okay, but our philosophy was we're going to tell the membership what it costs to do it right. right. Yeah. And it happened to be more than double on that project. And uh, everybody was concerned, and we talked about it, but we all agreed that, hey, let's, let's give them the full project and let them say no. And we gave them the project, we gave them the backup, and they said yes, and we built it, and it worked. So, you know, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to be able to take the time to do it that way, that's that's the way to do it. This whole value engineering before you even go ask for the money is just a road to shortcuts and disasters. How does um, maintenance and golf course, like just the overall philosophy and trends yeah. change? in the last 15 years for for the industry? You know, um, that's a good question. Um, they've definitely continued to progress, and I would say most of it has been around the development of a lot of the new grasses that guys are using, whether it's warm season or cool season grasses. Everybody's using modern, you know, varieties and species that happen to be high organic matter producers, mm-hmm. right? So we're all trying to get the firmest, fastest product that we can get. Yeah. Right, um, that's a little different, right? That's that's definitely different, yeah. and and uh, but we're trying to do that um, with these grasses that are inclined to get there. But what people don't see is what what happens under the under the canopy, under the surface, and and uh, inadvertently it requires a lot of maintenance that people haven't really counted on. So that's that's been a change, um, you know, coming up from the desert there seven years. You know, I always had a real or I was taught a real, um, irrigation was a premium. You know, mm-hmm. I, I learned to manage head by head. I, I learned not to waste a drop of water. I learned to water very specific and effectively. And I've used those uh, principles through my East Coast work, my Midwest work, you know, my Southern work. So, I mean, it's all, it's all been there. Um, with this firm and fast approach and water conservation and all the things that, that come into today's um, golf course maintenance environment, um, managing irrigation and, and understanding water quality and um, making it work for you for as little as possible ultimately yields that playing surface people are looking like and, and, and addresses the environmental concerns. And and really what it comes down to is, it's funny, is that it's really about the fundamental principles of cultivation and soil modification and or drainage right you've got to have a draining profile you can't have heavy soils that hold water you got to remove the organic matter if you do all that you can use the least amount of water you can keep it firm you can do all these things and and um you know as painful as that is to take a golf course out of play and and execute that it's critical in my opinion Mm -hmm. It's a, with the new courses, you get the new greens and they they don't have any like thatch in them. Right. What's like, what's the best year to put, like, because I know like no thatch, it, people will be like, it's way too firm. Right. Is right. it like year two when they're just perfect? You know what? Uh, with these newer grasses, like we have 007 creeping uh, bent grass on our greens here at Medina. And yeah, it's, it's literally end of the second year, beginning of the third year yeah. when we need to now start removing it. So... Uh-huh. Somewhere in that second year, start of the third, you've got the right amount. Yeah. And if you don't get on it then, in terms of the management of that profile, it'll get away from you quick. Yeah. So it comes on a lot faster than it may have in the past, um, but you also have to stay, from a management perspective, 
equally as uh, on top of it as quick as it comes on you. Yes, yeah, so I played uh, a couple courses last year, the Loop and then Sand Valley first year, and you know yeah. greens are really firm, and like yeah, I love firm. I mean, I kind of like it. I, yeah. I kind of like playing new courses because it it brings a whole new element to the game. But sure. I played them both this year, and like I thought they were so they were so close to perfect. Where like you really you know like long irons really run out, and it, it's it's amazing how much of a difference that mm-hmm. makes. Right. on like the overall strategy of a golf course mm-hmm. and um it's a you see it on the tour i mean like if a course isn't firm and fast it doesn't matter what course it is it's going to get lit up by these guys and right. and then like you know they you saw like i think tpc potomac they um their their superintendent did a great job this year but it was so firm and fast and the scores were right around par mm-hmm. and it i mean it makes a big difference and then I think firm and fast conditions are are something that almost levels that skill difference between the the low handicappers and the high handicappers because for seniors they get the ball gets run in and the course right. isn't as long, but right. then for the for the more skilled player it it I mean it, it heightens how precise you have to be. Yeah, you know the ball just doesn't stick for, no matter how you hit it. That's you right. Know, it's, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. I, how do how do you go about managing three courses you i mean not many superintendents have as big of an operation as you um you know what's the difference between being you know superintendent at you know billy bob country club and uh you know having a team and having to manage three like how much time do you spend across them yeah so you said it it starts with the team really you know you've got to have a team of individuals both both at the top level of your management in terms of your core superintendents and your assistants, and then all the way down to, to your seasonal guys. But you have to build a, a very um, well-qualified, eager, kind of hungry team that, that likes high energy and a lot of action, right? At three courses, there's just always something happening. You, you're always, you know, you might be on this course, but there might be something happening over there and, and, and you know, one of the others, and you just have to be, you have to be ready for a fast-paced, kind of environment and um and then you got to be communicative i mean mm-hmm. we we place a real big premium on communication here and um you know if you look through our shop i have you know things all over the wall that talk about like uh you know fundamental communication and talking as frequently as possible and it's a major part of our day just just to have that radio blaring back and forth even you're just sending information back and forth um, to, in order for everybody to be engaged and that's what it takes to be successful at running a consistent large-scale operation is you know a really qualified hungry group of, of people and uh, guys that that are willing to communicate I mean if you come work on our team and you sit back and you don't engage, you're going to get passed by, and you will just be out of the game. You know, you've got to be willing to 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 ask the dumb question, to to make the the odd or irrelevant observation. It doesn't matter. It's communication. It engages you into the talk. We all get going, and and that's really the key to it. And then, you know, obviously, I mean, you got to have the resources and the support of the club, and you got to have real specific goals for what you're trying to accomplish. And and that has everything to do with the customer, right? So, I mean, you know, you and I might like really firm, fast conditions, but the Medina members may like to them that might be something different. And and you got to have a clear picture of that to set those goals right. But, um, you know, here at Medina, we are fortunate to have. 
I'm fortunate to be the leader of just a fantastic group of guys. Um, Jake Mendoza, our course three superintendent, has been with me for three years and or for ten years, and he's worked on all three courses. And and um, uh, Dane Wilson, the course two superintendent, he uh, he started as an intern here with us uh, some seven eight years ago, and has worked his way all the way up to course superintendent. He oversaw the course two project along with me. Uh, he also worked on the Doak project, so he's got a ton of experience. Yeah. And he's a legacy soup. His dad was superintendent of Valhalla for 23 years, so he's uh, got a... He's, it's in his blood. It's in his blood. And Chris Funky, our course one superintendent, also interned for me a number of years ago, came back after he graduated and worked his way up to running uh, one of the golf courses. And then our assistants and our, our, our full-time staff, guys that have been in Medina for 15, 18, 20 years. I mean, these guys... They know the deal, and um, we count on them heavily, and they deliver. And you know, it's a privilege for me to be a part of the uh, that group. Um, the internship program I mentioned briefly is a big deal to me. Yeah. Uh, we just completed our tenth season, and uh, there's eight of us that are university trained agronomists that manage the property. And uh, take me out of it. Of the seven, um, of the seven, five of them were interns in our program that have come back to, to work their way up. So, I mean, I'm really proud that, that they get that kind of experience as a student. They see a place where they can grow and, um, and, learn, and, and learn a lot of stuff and, and obviously work at a great place. They come back, they work hard, and, and then we've had guys graduate on out of our program mm-hmm. and in various parts of the country now at, at top facilities. So I place a real emphasis on developing uh, my team, I put, I put a lot of uh, work and effort into making sure they get what they need and it's custom to, to their goals. And um, ultimately that pays off benefits for our members because uh, everybody's on the same page. I mean, it's, it's cool because it you give them place to grow and, you know, eventually you hope they grow out. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, it is what you, every manager should want. And it's kind of, you know, Doak has a similar internship program with Renaissance he Design. Does, yes. like where. You know, they have the uh, internship program. You can look and you see all these new young architects are, you know, come from there, or Corin Crenshaw. And right. it's, uh, it's really, it's, it's uh, internships. Uh, it's cool when you can see them, you know, you've got like a coaching tree. You're like Coach K. Yeah. You know, with your, with <laughs> it's funny you say that because we have a lot of Coach K things on the wall. And, uh, you know, m- my mentor, Sean uh, Emerson at Desert Mountain, he's a, he's a fiery guy. And I loved working for him um, because of that. But he he would call himself the Bobby Knight of golf course superintendents, and I always used to tell him one day I'm going to be the Coach K because Coach K worked for Bobby Knight. Yeah. And um, both Army guys. Yeah, and 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 uh, Coach K I think has a few more national championships than Bobby Knight, so I like to to rub that into Sean. But I don't think I had more than him. But it was always fun to to just kind of smack talk like that. Yeah. Um, curious. So national championships. Yeah. Good segue. Yeah. Um, you've hosted PGA. No, you weren't here for the I PGA. I wasn't here for the PGA. So you got Ryder Cup. Ryder Cup. And then you'll have the BMW in right. two years. Right. So Ryder Cup. I mean, that had to be. Once in a lifetime experience. It was unbelievable. Um, I was out here. Were you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm walking in here on, uh, on the course. Yeah. Just parking lot. I tell you what, I mean, from the day I was hired until the day after the Ryder Cup. How, how long before the Ryder Cup were you Five hired? years. Five years. Five years. And, and every day for five years, Andy, all I thought about was that week. 
I mean, there wasn't a single day that I didn't come out on this property and think about that week. You know, I mean, it was a hundred. I mean, that was the the main draw. That's what I wanted to do. It was a goal of mine to to do something like that. And and uh, I tell you, it was it was um, it it was quite a humbling experience driving up the 18th fairway on Sunday when we had prepped our last hole and, and then driving the course the next morning was like, you know, I did, you know, it was in just a weird place, you know, that, that mm-hmm. five years of time that I lived, lived to try to successfully lead the team through that. And, and we had accomplished it. It was something else, but you were, you were one of the few Americans that had a good feeling after that Ryder Cup. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And I had so many guys from Europe and, and other volunteers here, you know, wanting to console me yeah. that afternoon. And I was like trying to act sad. But at the same time, I mean, I was just so happy that, that Medina yeah. was successful. I mean, that was that was what my goal was. And that was what I was here to do was to, to, to ensure that that golf course and this club showed well and that our members were proud and and that was first and foremost and we we accomplished that i the u.s opens kind of the only thing that comes close to the spectacle mm-hmm. of uh, a Ryder cup in terms of like years of preparation was yeah. there there had to be you know it, so every Ryder cup because like because of the alternating schedule i mean for four years right you're essentially like the PGA's sole focus. Yeah. I mean, right. it's a big deal for them. So how often did, would you communicate and, you know? You know, I, I started talking with, with Kerry Haig of the PGA uh, when the Ryder Cup was at Valhalla. Mm-hmm. And, um, did know, you go down to that then? I did. Uh-huh. I did. I went down there, you know, a number of times to see the build out and, and down during the event. But Kerry, Kerry and his team was on site um, literally the winter after that. Mm-hmm. Walking the site, starting to lay out the... The design of, of the of the of the production, if you will, um, and so you know there was a lot of talk, and then and then it really heated up um, when the captain was selected. So that mm-hmm. was two years, you know, mm-hmm. just under two years prior to the event, and that's when the talks got a little bit more specific. The plans were all laid out in terms of of, of uh, corporate hospitality layout, back of the house staging, grandstands. You know, we had a plan. Um, that we were working off of and in terms of inside the ropes you know then we started having discussions like home field what, setup what's the goal yeah yeah right so what what was the goal for that Ryder Cup like what was like kind of you know, how do they want the course like what, what you know did they talk about like what would you know be better yeah yeah I mean it's so so Paul Azinger at Valhalla, he was like the first American in a long time, American captain mm-hmm. in a long time, to have some influence and do some things. So, you know, they, they mowed some rough short in, in some landing zones and, you know, cut down a tree limb that was in the way of J.B. Holmes. And, you know, they did a few things where he was, you know, as, as opposed to um, previous guys that hadn't really done anything except yeah. show up to, to play and coach. So Davis, you know, kind of coming off that, I mean, he was in tune to, hey, I'm going to have some influence. So, you know, Carrie and Davis and I sat down and and they both were in agreement um, that they wanted short rough or they thought they wanted short rough and they wanted fast green. So that's where it all started. Uh So that following summer, the summer of 11, I said, okay. And I went out and we developed a plan, the team and I, um, and the superintendent of course three at the time uh, was a guy by the name of Ross Lobsher who we have a long history and had worked together and I had brought him here mm-hmm. to be a part of that because um, you know we had uh, you know I had a ton of confidence in him and he was on that uh, on that project and he's now at, 
uh, and trod at Snow Canyon in Utah. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, we all sat down and came up with this plan about how to drape the entire golf course in intermediate height rough. Yeah. So we were gonna we were going to mow it down, intercede it, start using growth regulators to create density, and try to build fairways essentially at an inch and a quarter that went. Uh, completely over top of and around all green complexes, all bunkers, and then effectively tied into the T. And we were trying to get out to the tree line as wide as we could. And, and uh, but people talked about it being like an Augusta rough type of thing. And so we, we did. Davis came out that summer, and I showed him what we're up to. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, th- I'm, I think this is kind of it's different, but let's go with it. And then as we were getting closer to 2012, he said, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of not sure about it. And I said, well, from our perspective, it's better to be short and have you say, you know, two, three weeks out, let's well, grow it up yeah. than the other way around. Yeah. And and I, and the club was on board. And so... I bet uh, members loved it. It was probably oh, yeah. the easiest course threes ever been. Yeah, right. It was. I mean, it was, you know, you could miss a fairway and you had a, you know, for, for a higher handicapper, it was a great lie. Yeah. You know, so we, we worked hard at that um, and got that all cut in. And we started just, the, the greens had just been built um, in 2009-10. And so they were maturing, like we were talking about. And we were running a lot of play through them. We had a lot of rain and heat. And, and um, you know, so it was, it was struggle. We struggled to get them to kind of knit in and solidify. But... You know they got better as time went on, and, and ultimately they got there, and they're they're structurally they're they're fantastic, and they're they've never blinked. But it was a longer road for those greens to get there. But by the time we got to to uh, twelve, which was their effectively their second full year, they were steady, and uh, we were able to get those green speeds up. So uh, you know as it got got you know within you know a few weeks of the event, Davis and Steve Stricker and I went out and we we picked five hole locations on all the greens. Mm-hmm. And we didn't say, hey, Friday a.m., Saturday p.m., Sunday on that. We just, Davis wanted too easy, too hard, and, and you know, one in the middle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you had like A, B, C, D, E. Right. And we handed those over to Kerry Haig, who in the end is, you know, the final decision maker on all that. And he edited a few of them right, right off the bat. Like, you guys are nuts way too hard not doing this and it was his call and he ultimately so took, way too hard in the sense of like they wanted you know excitement birdies. yeah they wanted excitement and they were a little too close to slopes and uh-huh. you know just you know he you know he made a comment like you guys are going trying to get me fired with these or what are you, you know yeah. and, and we just laughed but uh you know in the end um those decisions were carries uh and you know he like i said he used the ones that he wanted to use and People talk about Sunday seventeen on Sunday, and you know being on the where right, was it? It right, was on the back, right, right, yeah, back right, and and uh, you know like why Davis put the pin there. And first of all, I don't know if Davis and Kerry had a conversation and said do that or not. You know maybe they did. That wasn't I. You know I was executing the management of the of the grounds by that point I, I wasn't involved in whole locations it's amazing how everybody looks at that pen yeah. when it, like you could there's a bunch of others like no one would ever pick out the fourth hole pen like it could no. have been the worst one <laughs> of all of them for like the team right but no one ever would zoom in on the fourth hole because it's the fourth hole everybody might have lost the fourth hole I know. but yeah. but because it's at the end somebody right. zooms in on the 17th well i'm with you you know i mean 
historically, the United States had been weakest in the first two days of the event, the, the four yeah. ball and the foursomes. And, and Davis created a strategy, and we had a golf course set up that he handed the team a four-point lead going into their strongest event. Yeah. And then they just got beat. So whole locations are not, you know, they got outplayed that day. Yeah, and you were just, you were about to pop open the champagne. Yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did, was. I, what did you do like the night after you were done? To, like, oh, oh, that you know what? That, I'll never forget that because you know w- what a family goes through. You know, yeah. if you're married. My young yeah. daughters at the time. I mean, what they went through to support me to to be able to do that was a a lot, and they gave up a ton of time and a lot of things in life for me to be so dedicated. And uh, you know, I was fortunate to spend that night with them, and and uh, we, you know, after. We, we had a little pizza party down here and, and volunteers and people were leaving and all that kind of thing. But, you know, the four of us just got in a cart and we went up to the clubhouse and we walked through. We went in the team rooms. We talked to the, all the players and went into the press tent. And my girls got a picture with Rory McElroy and I got a picture with Jose Maria holding the Ryder Cup. And, you know, I talked to Davis, too. He was, you know, he was, he was bummed out. It was obviously a totally different deal over there. But... We we spent our evening just kind of around town. I mean, they were they were partied up. That you're a party up there till one or two in the morning, mm-hmm. and we we were up there just you know, kind of walking around, being a part of it all. Yeah. And, and the next morning, I mean, literally the next morning at seven a.m. Schneider Ryan Schneider was here. Uh-huh. Wadsworth was here. We had equipment stage. Oh, the next morning we took it. about seventy it. trees out, and Brian and Eric uh, Iverson had uh, bulldozed two greens and already rough shaped them out by the end of the day on Monday. <laughs> So I mean, we really we had no time to to you know You're think too much on about to the it. next. Yeah, one. we were on to the next thing, you know, and uh, fortunate to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Were there any players that were like particularly interested, like asked you more questions than other ones? Yeah, uh, Jason Duffner. Really, he was he was he was great. Well, there, a number of them came out uh, early with Davis and played a practice round, and that was really cool for me. Davis asked me to come along and just ride with them. And so I would I would go out into the landing zone, see how far they were hitting, it, you know, just making sure everything was good out there, you know, uh, get up to the green, watch them hit in, and I I went all eighteen holes with them. We talked green speeds, different things, and that was a lot of fun. But Jason Duffner wanted to know about heights of cut, and I mean he's converting fractions of decimals just off the top of his head and being right, you know, which you know I need a calculator for that, you know. So I mean he was he was uh, he really. Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect Duffner to be that calculating and no, like that that I feel like was. he would be like a go with the flow guy. He he had all kinds of questions and it was interesting and uh, I wonder he, if he asked that for everybody. You know, <laughs> every event. Did. I don't know. I don't know. He you know he didn't say much. He just asked a question. We told him the answer. He asked another one. But uh-huh. you know it was uh, yeah it was it was really interesting. And I mean all all the guys um, on both teams were were just fantastic to our team and and really gave us um you know real big nods of support and, and recognition um through that event which you know they certainly didn't need to do by any means and and we feel real fortunate and blessed that they did so you know it was just kind of a, a solidification of, of a job well done to, yeah. to have the players say good things what do you what do you think they would want to do different with the course setup if they could do it all over again? Man, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'd have to ask them because they were loving it 
obviously, and then all of a sudden it just like flipped on. It. I, I think that was just a golf thing. You know, that's why they yeah. put, you could set the stack everything in your favor, and the other yeah. team can win. You know, it's right? Like it's, sports. Yeah, you know they 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 like the fact that they could hit it, they could hit it, use their length and hit it a long way, and not get themselves in too much trouble. So I, I mean, they saw know. the same thing at Hazeltine with right. like, uh, you know that. That place had like no rough, yeah, middle pins. It was right. it was great when Justin Rose was complaining about right, you know, right. hard like too easy. Yeah, exactly. But I, I can understand that. Sure. Um, how's so you got PGA here, like or not PGA BMW? Yeah, You're yeah. Kind of uh, gotta be starting to get ready for that now. We are. We're you know it, it really kicked in when we went and spent some time with Connor Healy and the and the team up at. Um, Conway Farms, yeah, and they're uh, Connor's a great guy. He ran a fantastic operation. Place was in great shape. Yeah, it was just immaculate. His tournament uh, execution was was superb, and so I I was really fortunate. He's and he went out of his way to to um, he and Paul Verm- Paul Vermeulen from the PGA Tour went out of their way to make uh, the place accessible to me and make you know give me insight into whatever it is that that I needed to see and that I was interested in seeing. So, it, but but uh, to your point, it just got got the juices flowing a little bit, you know, tournament mode back, and it's nice to really nice to be there with the grandstands up and feel that atmosphere, and I look forward to it. And for the guys that are on our team now that weren't here during the Ryder Cup, I really look forward to going through an event with them because that's you know the whole journey, the lead up to it is really you know working together to get there is really what it's all about, and then you know. Uh, those those four days of the event are, are really special too. But and they go by like this. Yeah, it's it's like a wedding. Yeah, I was just gonna compare that. I feel yeah, like you I just don't, got married, yeah. so you know your head's spinning. You <laughs> after you like, hey, did I talk to that guy? Did I do this? You, you know, you can't remember, but um, that's that's kind of what it's like. But in the end, if you're prepared, it all works out. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if I was prepared for my wedding. But <laughs> it worked out. Right, <laughs> got through it. So. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> it's. Um, it's it's interesting. It's a, it'll be it'll be a little bit different of a of a setup. It'll be a little little tougher. But yeah. the the great thing about number three, there's so much space for infrastructure. Right. That was the you, there's no you can put a grandstand and it's not a backboard. Right. And right. Uh, I mean, like eighteen at the Kepka banked it off the back. That was yeah, no kidding. Unbelievable. But the one nice thing is it's up. How close? Do they? Do you try and push those grandstands up? You know, because um, you want the fans as close as you can, but right, you don't want to inf- affect the integrity of the tournament. Yeah, you know, uh, what was interesting is is Kerry uh, said something to me when we were doing the Ryder Cup was that uh, you know he wanted wide ropes and wide corridors because the further he could spread it out, the more people could see. Yeah, as opposed to pulling it tight you know with those size crowds yeah well that and so few golfers so few golfers exactly and so you know i have yet to see the uh the layout from the western golf association and and, and uh the folks at the pga uh, tour with regards to what we're going to do so i i don't know looking at what they did at conway they they had it they had it really tight um our our number 18 doesn't lend itself because mm-hmm. of the elevated green to get too close like they did there we gotta we gotta be a fir- little further back 17 has a natural amphitheater anyway i yeah. I, I think that you know with, for the Ryder cup we use that i hope i hope they do that again but you know we'll we'll see what they come up with i know that for for the Ryder cup we built 43 acres of 
stuff. So back of the house, front of the house, 43 acres was all part of that uh, infrastructure. And I think the estimate for the BMW is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 15. So it's about really one-third the size of, of what the Ryder Cup was. Any, like, weird little thing go wrong during the Ryder Cup week? Like, like did you have any, like, mini disasters that no one would know about? You know, like, did, yeah. like or like some machine broke? Or... So every superintendent's uh, worst nightmare was uh, uh, about 10 days before the event, we had a hydraulic leak right up the center of Three Fairway on a fairway unit and um, we were like we all just kind of standing there because we had taken every precaution to not have that happen and it happened and uh, um, there it was and so I'm thinking you know what are we going to do about this so we've got you know basically pole bent fairways out there you know predominantly bent but there's there's enough pole in them that they're not pure bent so sodding it with bent would have been a sore thumb you know you would have seen it um so we thought about it, and um, the guy that works for us, uh, his name is Sal Garcia, and he's just a master craftsman, and uh, we've been working together for 20-some years. He's, he's, he's gone with me from site to site, but we went to the forward tee on number four that had a very similar turf stand, stripped it completely, patched that, that uh, hydraulic leak right up the gut, uh-huh. And then sodded that tee over with bent. They weren't going to use it for the event, yeah. and nobody looks at the forward tee. And so uh, he put it in there, and he threaded it in there like like as good as you could possibly do it. No, and I mean, you know, we could see it, but I didn't know if anybody else was going to see it. And so about four days later, or so I'm standing on the third green, and and here comes a golf cart, uh, just running right down the fairway, and he's literally driving driving this hydraulic leak line and uh it's paul azinger and he's scouting the golf course for tv coverage and he pulls right up to me and 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 i had met him once before and he says hello and he's like man the golf course is fantastic it's immaculate congratulations blah 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 and i'm thinking thank god they're never gonna see it they're never (laughs) gonna know nobody's gonna know and nobody did you know so that was that was you know yeah, that was enough uh, last minute to put yeah. your heart in your throat. But. My wedding day, I, I cut my neck shaving. <laughs> you did? <laughs> and uh, it, it, just a tiny one. I never cut myself shaving ever in my life before right. that moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have that whatever that kit thing is because I've yeah. never cut myself shaving. And uh, and I, I had a white shirt and it like some of it got on the collar because it like started bleeding again yeah i mean i freaked out but like i i was in there with like a toothbrush like you know right but eventually it came out nobody noticed yeah i mean you can't even see them in the photos right good good but yeah it's like same kind of thing same thing for sure just things that go wrong yeah um so uh if you were gonna make one change to i mean you got two relatively new golf courses and three, what would you make? One, if you could make one change out here, you know, you're putting on your, you're the czar of Medina. Uh, All the members answer to you. I see. What, what would you do from a golf course perspective? You know, there, there, I, I would, I would make some adjustments to some of the bunkering on course three. And, and we're going to, we're going to replace the sand and we're going to do some slight regrading just from sand buildup. Uh, prior to the BMW, but 
there were some bunkers that, that were built um, when the, the course was heavily treed, and, and we've taken 1,400 trees off that mm-hmm. golf course and, since we've been here. And, and now you have some bunker complexes that they still work. You know, for all intents and purposes, they're fine. Mm-hmm. But just because I know that yeah. there used to be a support uh, wall of trees that, that defined that shaping uh, parameters, um, I think that with, with those gone, I, I, would, I would soften those and shift those a little bit to be respectful. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, just so you to, shift them out a little. I I I I blend I blend the tie-ins out. You know, you've got some real steep toes toes of slope on the back sides. I'd, I'd fade those, and I'd push the bunkers in play a little bit more. Yeah. You know, bring the fairway a little bit more into them. Um, just from the experience that that I've been fortunate to have, watching Tom and Brian and Eric do that stuff, and then and then get to to really. Uh, direct a lot of it on two and so forth you know i have the confidence now to think i can improve them that might be might be bad but um those would be that's probably what i would do hey confidence is half the battle yeah i guess you're right just like golf if that's you're, right you're not confident you're not gonna have a good shot true very true <laughs> you're not confident you're probably bad build a bad bunker <laughs> yeah you're right you're right <laughs> now, there's a couple of them out there that i would love to get the green light on but yeah. yeah, it's a. It, it seems like everybody loves the mowing lines right into bunkers. Yeah, is there any thought of ever trying to get some of that at, on three? Oh man, you know, I, I I would love to see that. I think that uh, if you if you embarked on that, however, you have to change the. Lines. You, you got to do it everywhere. The problem is, is if you did that, and, and what I mean, I don't mean every single hole, but it, what I mean is every every hole would have to be evaluated. And yeah. every bunker would have to be shifted to make it work because right now they're 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 shaped and built into the fairway in ways that wouldn't lend itself to make it look natural. Yeah. And so we'd have to shift. It'd be a big, big project. It'd be a big project. It'd be there'd be bulldozers, mini axes, and you know some some grading would definitely need to happen. And but it, it'd be good. I think that course would 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 toughen up that way. You know. Um, it's an int- it's just a it's a interesting golf course. It's so long. It's so penal if you get offline. If you don't drive it well, you toast. Yeah. It's like going 15 rounds with a heavyweight, you know, mm-hmm. for 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 you know, 13 14 handicapper like myself. It's like man, breaking 90 is like I'm buying the beers, you know what I mean? Because it's just a long day. And uh, <laughs> you know, I hadn't played it in a while, yeah. and I played it after my honeymoon, so I hadn't touched a club. It was okay. the first round out after my honeymoon. I think I hadn't touched a club in, like, 16 days. And, like, I started out okay. I hit pretty good, but then I, like, kind of lost my tempo. And, like, it was, like, for, like, five holes. Like, I just got, I got, like, was getting bludgeoned over the head. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but, but it's, like, I mean, it's a, it is... Um, like you can't, be you can't fake it out there, and that's why it's it's a championship course. Like nobody can slap it around and 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 shoot a good score on that golf course. Very true. But Very true. Uh, it could. I mean, I the land is unbelievable over there, and the the oaks are so beautiful because they got so many big oaks. And right. You can see them more now. Yeah. It's, 
I mean, you know, it the the topography gets really really good on holes like twelve. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, is that the par four that goes? Yeah, yeah that sweeping oh. side fairway. I mean, you know, that's you hear about Augusta, people have never been, and then you go and you're like, wow, they're right. You can't appreciate the topography unless you're there. Twelve has. What that was, kind of size. To what it. was that green before the changes like? Um, it was pretty much, um, well, it was about two-thirds the size. It was pretty much back to front. With a little this way? With a little bit towards towards the lake, but the approach, the whole right side uh, of the green was all rough. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, and it was, and it had a little hump in it. So we, we cut that hump out, smoothed it out, brought that fairway around the side and then uh, put some, some movement into it. And it's got this really, right now it's got this really nice swale that runs off the back that yeah. visually looks like, you know, disaster. Mm-hmm. But knowing knowing how it plays, the mist there is actually, if that pins oh. back there, it's long because it'll stay up. Mm-hmm. It will run through that and stay up. Short's a disaster. Short's a disaster. And like even on the front part of the green, that putt is brutal it going is up. Brutal. It's yeah, it is. It, it, I I had it the last time I played it. I, yeah. I thought I hit a really good shot and it grabbed and came back down that ridge and it right. was not a good spot to be. Yeah, at all. It's, I know. That's a it's a beautiful golf hole. Yeah, and and from there it, it continues to get interesting with fourteens. You know, got this rolling rolling uh, shoot through those trees and then sixteen, which yeah. is such a fantastic golf hole. Now that it's got the length back. Um, it's it's for for the top level players. It's really fantastic. How do you, how do you? Uh, I know I said I imagine and I I saw the members just end up in that bottom part so much. Like that's got to be just a huge traffic area for you. It is. Yeah. How how do you and you guys get so many rounds at three? I mean it's right. booked. Right. How do you manage areas like that? Like do you have a strategy towards them? Yeah, so from a, from a purely maintenance standpoint, what we do is uh, rather than painting uh, ground under repair with white paint, mm-hmm. we tack rope down on the ground and circle it as if it were paint in white rope, put a sign on there, ground under repair, and we put drop areas off in the intermediate cut, and we, and we do that for outings on Mondays, and mm-hmm. we do it for like most heavy active guest play days, Monday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then when we start to gravitate more to our member play on Friday afternoon, Saturday, and Sunday, we pull it. Okay. And that, that, that way, most people that land down in there, you know, and a lot of guys that are here just playing, unless they're a really great golfer, are, are, are going to choose to take it, put it on a fluffier lie to hit that, yeah. that pitch back up that hill. And it saves on divots. So that's yeah. how we do it from a maintenance standpoint. We've looked and we've tried to put a little bit of movement in there to move balls away. And the uh, water probably sits down there a little bit more too, which is... When we did the greens project, what we did to, to firm that bottom up was uh-huh. we excavated that, that entire bottom area out six inches, capped it with sand, and put subsurface drainage in it. So it stays a little firmer. Uh-huh. But um, we looked at closing the fairway off and making it rough. This was all. That would have been good. Yeah, these were all ideas pitched at Reese. Yeah. You know, uh, putting a bunker right in there, and and Reese just held firm, like, "Hey, Curtis, you got to come up with a way to fill these divots and get them to grow because I don't want to change it." Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that was his position because I think 
that the hole's better that way. It's watch balls roll back down to your feet that that's way. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we deal with feeling in golf. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Can't get rid of that. Yeah. That's right. It's <laughs> uh. Right. All right. We do this uh overrated underrated segment. Okay. So you got pick. So. We're gonna go from the way Medina members perceive the course. Okay. And we're gonna go through each of the courses, overrated, underrated, and you have to pick. Okay. So course number one. The way from the perspective of a Medi- the Medina members. The greater yeah, yeah. the average Medina member. Underrated. Yeah, that's why I, I, I heard it. Yeah. People don't understand those greens, right? Yeah, you, you hear some of that these days. You know, um, it's still busy. Um, they're still playing it. We got plenty of guest rounds, but you know, there's there's a few greens out there that uh, I think we're, we're I think are personally I think are great, but they uh, they challenge people and and they're not that design is unique. Uh, it fits the lay of the land. It fits the site, but it's different. And I think that's what is the hardest thing for them to accept. Is that, yeah, it's amazing how yeah. changes in just any sure aspect of society is like frightening for people. And you, you know, this is a tough <laughs> this is a tough segment for me because you know, having built all these three, they're like my you know, yeah. you know, I mean like you know, I I feel like I a part of me's, you know, they're like my kids in a lot of ways, you know. So I mean, it's picking one kid over the other. I had Tom on. I think he said you might have said overrated to everything I said just because that's his personality. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I definitely think that that in the the, re, the last twelve months, let's just say, uh, course one has gotten some uh, inaccurate criticism, and I think that it's uh, underrated. I I bet if you explain some of those greens, I bet there's some bumps that people could play off of, and yeah. it's one of the things I think is uh, people don't understand strategy when it's a little when it's different when it's not just center of the fairway, center of the green. Like you know, That's right. three is really right in front of you, and that one probably has a lot more subtlety yeah. and right. a little bit more thought and positioning. Like if you're over on the right side of this fairway and the pins here, like don't hit it at the pin, hit it. Like twenty feet left, and I'll probably filter all the way in. That's right. That's it's, right. It's 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 hard for it's. Yeah. Once you do it once, though, you see that happens. Like I think there needs to be like a guide or something sometimes. You know, and we've got there's a lot of short grass, so you know you've got to learn to kind of bump and run and and play a tight pitch, and and that's not typical either. Yeah. You know, and so I think that, you know, when Tom when I played with Tom on opening day, he chipped. All over that golf course with the seven iron yeah. all day long. That's all he hit. Yeah, and very effectively. Yeah, you know. And I, I was wondering, is he making a point with this? Is that what he's trying to like get this across to, to, to those of us playing with him that this is how you should do it? But hey, you know, the more the more I hear some of the things people don't like, the more I think they ought to approach that approach it with that strategy a little more. It's why I, I was uh, I played with him and I was hitting a. I had a shot and I was short and he and he looked and he goes, "You hit the lob wedge here?" And I go, "Yes." And he goes, "You don't even think?" I'm like, "Yeah, this is this is what I would say 90% of like good amateur play, like tournament amateur players would hit this shot." He goes, "You would never hit like an eight iron." 
So like I hit that and I hit an eight iron and I was like, wow, that was really easy. <laughs> right. And like I've started to hit more of those shots since because yeah. like, like I'd yeah. never even like it never even came to my mind yeah. to yeah. use the ground, but he uses it everywhere. Like yeah. you he hits shots like you're like I would never think about hitting a seven iron. He hits it and he's like, Yeah, you see the ground goes this way and comes back, so you know it's just gonna go right to the it's kind of crazy yeah you know yeah. no he's got it down though that's for sure yeah it's yeah. it's people just need to experiment more yeah definitely so course two um you know i that's a hard one to you know it might be it, too soon it might be too soon i think you feel know? like there's a buzz there's definitely a buzz um you know the the the, the t-sheet is filling up uh, as the summer has gone on every month to a higher level uh we haven't had anybody not in, uh, say they don't like something about it. Um, I've played it a couple times myself. I love playing it. So I don't know. We'll have to see, you know. I mean, it's a, it's it's really been a great compliment to the other two, and that's what it was intended to be, and that's that makes Medina's members' portfolio just, I think, stand apart. But in terms of a golf course, a core golf course, we need a little more time. What, do you, what, what about that... Uh course like are you most proud of since it's the most recent you know rebuild re-renovate renovation, right. restoration really well you know i i i'm most proud of um uh, how we were able to um to brighten the original shaping that came out in a way that looked like looked looked natural that, mm-hmm. that we were able to, to, to modernize things where applicable, uh, brighten and restore things where applicable, and make it look like it's been there for a while. And not, it, not, it doesn't look like we moved dirt to do anything, and that was the goal. And, and um, you know, I'm really proud of that. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I love that place. Thank it's, you. It's, uh, yeah. it's like more, more need more of that, especially at like, I mean, I feel like more Chicago courses should be like that. Cause like, I always say this to clubs and like, you're actually one of the clubs that can do the, like the hard golf. Because I always say to like, you know, people at clubs, it's like, all right. So like <clears throat> you're in Chicago, like, why are you trying to be the hardest golf course in Chicago? Like you're never going to be it when you got Medina, Butler, Medina three, right. Butler right. and Olympia fields. Like, you're never going to be as hard as those three golf courses. Yeah. So, like, why are you trying to make your golf course hard? Why don't you try and make your golf course, like, the most fun golf course in Chicago? Right. And, like, number two is a perfect example of it being, like, the most fun. Like, it was, it, it's, you know, you got drivable holes. You got short par threes. You got longer par threes. You hit, you hit like, all, a lot, almost all the clubs in your bag. Yeah. which is awesome yeah. and and the bunkering's beautiful I mean like uh, the way you guys have those mowing lines rolling in it's definitely a uh, it's a modern uh, it's a, it's a, a product of like what kind of like the trends of the industry mm-hmm. I imagine you know yeah for sure that was what we were shooting for so uh-huh. that's good to hear you say that yeah it's cool I uh, I recommend it anybody that gets the chance to fight too it's it's fun I uh I heard a lot of buzz. I was I was really skeptical. I'm not the biggest Reese fan. Yeah, and I was I was skeptical, but then right. I played. I saw it. I was like, wow, that was really good. Yeah, I do. You know, Reese 
what Reese needs to be credited for on that project for sure among other things is 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 the fact that you know he he let us he let it happen he you know he showed up and and when and when we started doing stuff and 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 working that stuff the more the more different it got the weirder it got the the further away from what he had done before it got the more excited he got the more he encouraged it to keep going yeah and i mean it was fantastic you know i was i wasn't sure how he was going to embrace this this approach that was going to happen and when we really we had talked about it but when we started doing it i wasn't sure how much he was going to do that and he absolutely did i mean he was he got so excited that he kept i mean we had a plan in terms of his number of visits and stuff like that and like he blew that budget because he just kept wanting to come back you know i mean he liked it so much so i i give him a ton of credit for his you know um his just his ability to to see to see it differently and to put it on the ground it's what people need to do with number one yeah that's right yeah (laughs) embrace the change embrace the difference that's right that's exactly right all right last one number three i'm all right so we talked about it being long and challenging you got to drive the ball straight so i i but i'm going to say underrated and i and i'm going to say it from a perspective of a medina member because it's um well, from a Medina member's perspective, it's probably it's it might be a bit overrated. <laughs> I just switched. I just switched. <laughs> I was going to ask. From my you, perspective, I was going to ask you what's one thing I forgot like the you're rules. Say. I forgot the rules. <laughs> right. So, so from my perspective, it's underrated. I think it has a lot of sh- from the right set of tees. It has a lot of shot values. It's got some some fantastic. Um, uh, strategic elements it forces you to think from the right set of tees yeah. based on your skill level mm-hmm. okay so that would apply to you from further back than it would for me yeah I bet uh, a lot of people play the wrong tees right and and I and from a Medina members perspective you know they put you know and in in, 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 in their defense it's always been the one that that was the flagship. It's got to it, be the hard course. Yeah, it was. It was the flagship for them. It, it holds all the tournaments, the history. So it's, you know, from their from their standpoint, you know, it's. They, I think they overrated it a bit because, that was the one that was always the one that was kind of carrying the torch, pulling pulling the rest of the, of the, of the club along, mm-hmm. and and now, the club's much different than it was, ten years ago, and you know maybe that perspective from their will change for them. Yeah. I think uh I think it's okay though. Like I I wrote about Olympia Fields last year and like you know going there and playing like you're playing a hard golf course. Yeah. <laughs> and right. the hard is okay. Like if I was a member, I'd play 3 here probably like two times out of 10. Maybe once out of 10. Yeah. I you know, I don't need to go get my ass kicked for like 5 hours that often, but right. it's good to go do it every once in a while right 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 <laughs> but that's the beauty of having if you like that's why i really like about, about here and olympia fields is like if you have a really good golf course and you have like the south course at olympia fields is a lot of fun and these two courses are a lot of fun one and two so it's like why you know you you don't have to play the really hard course every time but right like that's a you know yeah people are, people complain about medina you know Oh, it's so long and hard. It's like, well, what did you expect? 
right. major championship golf course. That's right. Yeah, um, you're right. There's some other com- like I you know some other like I think like Mo lines could be better like but like that's like I mean that's just yeah. that yeah you know right there's, but but like it, the complaint of it's long and hard is like well it's a PGA Championship golf course. Yeah, yeah. Like the answer to that is yeah, you're right. You know, you <laughs> that's know, what it, it's supposed it, to be. Exactly. It's not exactly. so yeah. So yeah. Um, but uh, thanks for coming on. This hey, was fun. Uh, yeah, it was a blast. I really yeah. appreciate it. And uh, I love the work you're doing and, and really appreciate your, um, you know, bringing the different sides of the industry out to the to the to the world of golf and, and uh, keep it up, man. Really appreciate it. It's interesting. I, I get interested. I, I, you know, yeah. I want to know as much as I know. I can know, you know. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I All appreciate right. it. Thank you.